bringing their problems to me for as long as I can remember. I have one of those faces that just says, tell me what's going on. And now I have one of those podcasts that says, go ahead, tell me what's going on. Welcome to Mess in Progress. Hey guys, and welcome to Mess in Progress with myself, Gina Brion, and my lovely co-host, slash fellow hungry person, Miss Catherine G. Mendoza. Everybody, I didn't even say it like that. I normally say it. Hold on, I gotta go. Catherine G. Mendoza. There we go. Now I said it more gangster. So now you can say uh, hi to the people. Catherine, say hi to the people. Hi, people. I think my compass. Oh, <laughs> wow. Did you just spit out some chicken? That was, these are bonus features, guys. Oh, guys. Um, I think my cup is spilling, guys. I know. I know. You know there's somebody with a, like a spit fetish that just like would watch that and be like, oh, chicken. I have this really random statement to make oh, right good. now. Okay. So, you know, um, on IG, like when you're in IG um, DMs, yeah, uh, you know how like you can double tap it and then um, it'll like, it'll like that just shows kind of like, I, I saw you, I acknowledged you, that. Well, did you notice that IG recently changed it? So now it's a heart and it was flying hearts. Yes, little flying hearts. I felt some type of way about that. It's weird because it's like, it used to just be like, I acknowledge I you. and love you. I don't love you. Like, I don't feel, I'm not feeling that way about you. Comedy yeah. heart flutters. Like, like I, so today, that was like, they did it probably late last week, I want to say, mm-hmm. but today I noticed they took away the fluttering, but the heart oh, is still they there. Did. They mm. took away the flutter. Okay. Cause people <laughs> must have been like, why are you making me flutter? I don't feel that. Cause it also like, no, okay. No joke. People are literally this sensitive to stuff. Yeah. It could send the wrong impression. 100%. Like, especially during quarantine times because yeah. I feel like, um, first off, we're all DMing, if not texting. And there's certain people who we don't text because it's like, our relationship is through the internet. It's not like a text situation. Um, Or even something like interacting with um, any type of fan or somebody who like follows you, but you don't know them personally. I never like to leave people unacknowledged. I think it's rude. I feel like people take the time out to write to you. And if I see it, then cool. But sometimes I don't have something to say or the conversation is over. The only time I don't acknowledge it is if one, if you send me a hello, beautiful message, Uh you're trash. Goodbye. I don't want to talk to you. Or two, if it's an obvious advertisement or spam for like, get more followers, get more this, get more that. And the Mm -hmm. only other time I've ever done it is like, and I felt so bad. This comic from Russia sent me a clip and was like, you know, asking me to promote his clip, but the comedy was all in Russian. And even though they gave captions, I'm like, I don't speak Russian. I don't know if the captions are right. I don't, I don't know if I can post this on my page. And so I felt bad, but I didn't respond to that because I'm like, dude, I can't like, right. I don't know what you're saying, homie, but like when it's an actual, like somebody who already follows me that's been in my DMs before, I want to acknowledge that. Yeah, I saw, I saw that. I saw what you did. Right. And, and, and I felt like the perfect acknowledgement was the, I double tapped it and you see my icon picture on it because it doesn't send a thumb. It doesn't send a heart. It doesn't say, I love it. It doesn't even say, I like it. It says, I see it. I see you. And, And thank you. I see you liking stuff in my story. I see you. 
Right. But now you got people thinking I'm loving it. Yeah. Like this is not McDonald's in the nineties. I'm not loving it. <laughs> I'm not loving it. I am not loving it. I'm not sending you heart flutters. This is not no. going down. No. It so, bother me when I noticed that. So I'm glad that they got rid of it. Cause I literally, there were certain people's uh, things that would come in to my DMs that I wouldn't tap now. Cause I don't want to send the wrong message. Right. Right. And it's not to be rude, but that's the thing. You're, you're leaving me no choice, Instagram. You're making me ruder than I intended to now be. Now I have to type out a response. Thanks. Thanks. I see you. Although I would like if Instagram kind of, okay, it's, it's twofold. On one end, I don't want Instagram reading my shit. On the other end, Wait. <laughs> on the other end, I, I kind of enjoy when emails give me the prompter and they'll be like, yes, hey, yes. amazing. I love those. Great. I click those prompters and then my first thought is, they know I just click the prompter. They know it. No, see, I click the prompter and then I add a little something. Sometimes I will. If it's somebody that knows me, I'm yeah. like, they're going to know I click the prompter if I just leave mm -hmm. it. So I'll click that and then I'll add something else. Um, right. But like when it's somebody that doesn't really know me, I just click the prompter like, nah, you ain't going to know. Meh. Yeah. And I, but that's what I'm saying. I, a part of me is like, do I want them to give me prompters? Because the thing about the prompters is they're kind of listening to like the reading your stuff, yeah. right? Um, cause they need to know. Too late. We all know they're already reading your stuff to get the algorithm for your specific page. So, so then give me my prompter yeah. because I, now that I can't, I'm not trying to be out here sending people hearts. Yeah. I need you to give me the thanks or okay instagram if you're listening a good one should be regionally in new york yeah. we could do thanks we could say good looks yeah. good looks is a good one a good prompter that ass that, that, that ass question mark that or ass. that yeah. ass exclamation point that ass exclamation point that ass question mark two different meanings yes. you're <laughs> yes. new york friends yes. be like you're. i mean those are if you want to go regionally yeah. But if you just want to do generals, thank you. Um, oh my God, that's so awesome. You know, I stuff that makes that, blah, 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 like all that stuff. Because let me just tell you something. Like <laughs> responding to people in DMs is such a calculated thing for me. Mm -hmm. Because I will get messages from so many people, from fans, from friends, from family. And like, sometimes these people think we're closer than we are. Mm. I and feel I have to give a very you know, not a cold response, but a very like just controlled response to people. Yeah. And sometimes with prompters, that's a lot easier than me having to figure out a way to say something in a nice way. And I struggle with that a lot because there's a lot of people that will hit me up and girl, I know you know this about me. I can't stand being on my phone. Yeah. I hate Phone calls, I hate FaceTime. Yeah. FaceTime, yeah. I hate more than anything else. First of all- It's ironic because now we're doing Zooms. Yeah. yeah. But here's the thing. When it's for work, when it's for creativity, I'm- then, Yeah. But there's like three people on this planet that I will FaceTime with. Right. And it's like, and, and it's still like pulling teeth. Because if you FaceTime me at the wrong time, I'm not picking up. Mm -hmm. Like I will FaceTime with my family. Uh, if they if they need something, if they want to check on me, I'll FaceTime with my friends if they want to check up on me. But even still, even still, it's a struggle to FaceTime with certain people because I'm like, yo, you talk too much. And I'm not trying to be on my phone like this the whole time. Or if I've had fans 
try to video chat me from Facebook to the point where I wanted to remove the video feature. Mm. Cause I'm like, yo, right now video chatting makes people way too accessible. Yes. I will say that, that like I, uh, I, there was only one friend who I video chatted um, prior to quarantine. Now that friend is in LA and it kind of made us feel closer. Yeah. But you know, everybody is FaceTiming or anything like that. I do still feel like FaceTiming without a warning is rude. Rude as hell. Do not FaceTime me without telling me. That's like showing up at my door without telling me you was coming through. I don't want to hear that I was in the neighborhood. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. You're in the neighborhood. I'm in my panties. Now we're in a situation. Like, yeah. why are you FaceTiming me? Yeah. At least texting me and be like, yo, can you FaceTime? Mm-hmm. Like, my friends that want to FaceTime, they will always text me first. Yeah. Like, yo, do you want to fa- Can I FaceTime you right now? Yeah. Of the time, I will be honest with them and be like, I hate FaceTime. Can you just call me? Like, I would rather have you on speakerphone. I don't want to have to hold up my phone. Maybe I'm doing something. I don't want to have to be constantly looking at the camera if I'm doing something. Or maybe I'm just chilling, and I'd rather just be sitting there chilling and not holding up my phone so you can see my face. And not only that, like, let's be honest, with certain people, I also don't talk to too many people on the phone. Yeah. Um, like, with, with my homegirls, there's been many times I've been in the bathroom while me and you are on the phone. Yeah. Many times. Now, when you're on FaceTime, you have to excuse yourself because it's like, dude, I'm going to have to either I'm going to have to tell you and then put the phone facing the ceiling yeah, and and mute you or you're going to hear this. Yeah. Or Um, you're about to hear all this business. But when we're on the phone, you don't see me going into the bathroom. So I usually (laughs) I time things. So I'm waiting for, if they're talking more, that's a good time for me to go to the bathroom because I can mute you yeah. while they're telling me their story, right? I need, I have the time between getting into the bathroom, using the bathroom, all appropriate wiping, and then flush. Yeah. Because the thing is, the flush could give it away. If you unmute <laughs> before the flush is complete. <laughs> and I don't know a toilet in the world that doesn't make that after flush hissing sound where after you flush it's just like it's almost like your toilet's going thank you thank you and the thing is my mom's the same way with her phone like my mom first of all when she facetimes me she's one of those typical moms that has like her forehead in in the frame or like her face like too close and she still stays on the phone with me for like three seconds like me i i know this is where i got it from my mom hates being on her phone too like she doesn't (laughs) like even when she's talking to her kids like i'll call her and she'll spend like a minute, if that much, on the phone with me. And like last week, uh, well, not last week, two days ago, she talked to me for 15 minutes. And I was like, who are you? And where is my real mother? Because this would be a one minute long conversation. And then she'd be like, okay, well, good to hear from you. <laughs> and then just get off the phone. And she's like, I never know if you're busy. I'm like, mom, I called you. <laughs> I called you to be, to say what you birthed me. I should talk to you. But she doesn't like being on her phone either, which I so appreciate. Um, because my dad's the opposite. My dad will keep me on the phone 20, 30 minutes. Like he he'll just keep me on the phone 20, 30 minutes, and I'm like, this is like an investment. Like some people call you and you know it's a time investment. Yeah. There are people that call me and I go, Oh, this is a 45 minute long phone call. I know this person. Yeah. I can't talk to you for 45 minutes right now. So two voicemail, you go. That's yeah. me. But 
um, even in our friendship, we don't talk that often on the phone. Yeah. So notice that like you give me, you allow me that time because if we're talking, it means there's something to talk about. If not, I'm going to text it or voice note it. But, but sometimes voice notes is, it, I need to tell you. Like I need the sometimes hour. It's not in like a voice note is just like, it's like, this is going to be 60 voice notes if I have to send this via voice note where I'd rather just call you. So I know when you call me, you also don't call me with like, trivial stuff <laughs> like it's not like you call me and you're just i mean even if it's just to say what's up we usually end up talking about something we need to talk about anyway but you don't call me with trivial stuff you're usually calling me with a purpose like i want to ask you about this or i have a suggestion for the podcast or we could do this and and all this other stuff so i get i'm like oh let me pick up it's cat or if my sister calls me my twin sister calls me she rarely ever so if she calls me i'm like oh i gotta pick up it's my sister she never calls my brother's right. even he never calls. He hates being on his phone, too. If he calls me, oh, I better pick up at Steven. Like, there's right. certain people you know, and he never FaceTimes me because he knows I hate FaceTime. <laughs> like, the people that try to convince me to talk on FaceTime are always, and there are people that love FaceTime, love it. And they always try to convince me. They're like, yeah, but it's me. And I'm like, yeah, but I still hate FaceTime. Like, it's not about you. Yeah. No, no. I mean, like, even that, oh, my God. I had a friend tell me this the other day which was I, I personally like to schedule things. It's probably the producer in me where if I want to talk about something and the person may be busy, so I'll, I'll try to be considerate about like, you know, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. So I'm, I am very like, oh, okay, cool, tonight, what time? And it's because I like to designate allowed it time yeah. for you. And I'm also asking you for time for me, right? Can you, it's like asking someone for space. Can I take up space in your day, in your night, in your energy or whatever the hell you want to call it? The same thing applies with FaceTime. Like I, I, I'm, I, listen, with you, I can look a hot mess on FaceTime, but that's not the point. The point is really, am I feeling like being on camera right now? Am I feeling yeah. like looking at a screen for however long this takes or just talking on the phone? Because it's not I, when you get on FaceTime. Like, if I could get on FaceTime with somebody and just put the phone down and they didn't care, but they're right. going to be like, I FaceTimed you so I could see you. And I'm like, why? My yeah. face looks the same as you will see on all of my social media platforms. Right. Like, I mean, I've had FaceTimes with people that, like, we, we talked for so long that, like, at some point they're cooking or I'm cooking. And, like, you're just not, you're kind of kind of seeing me, but, like, yeah. from afar, ooh, I'm sweating. Um, <laughs> I, picked, I picked up my arm and I saw underarm sweat. Oh, I'm sweating. <laughs> I got a fan on me right now because, yo, this third trimester, I'm not going to lie to you, man. The girl, my body, between the exhaustion, um, because I get so tired now. Like, I was tired. Look, every trimester, I've been tired. Every trimester is just exhausting. I'm making a person. I expected that. But this trimester, because it's hard for me to sleep, and I'll be, like, trying to sleep, and little man just starts moving and, and just leans on something that either makes me uncomfortable or makes me have to get up and move again. Like, I woke up this morning at 5.45 in the morning. I had to go to the bathroom, so I got up, went to the bathroom, got back in bed, literally forced myself to stay in bed till 7 because I could not get back to sleep. <gasps> our guest is here! Our guest is here! Okay, I guess it's here. I'm gonna try to act normal. I'm gonna try to act normal. I'm gonna be normal. I'm not gonna fangirl. I'm not gonna fangirl. Guys. I'm I'm not gonna fangirl. <clears throat> <laughs> so normal right now. Oh, wait, hello. 
<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, our guest, Carlos Gomez, everybody. How you doing, guys? Yeah, like a Zoom applause. I don't know why they do this for Zoom, but like, <laughs> it feels like so freezer. Yeah. <laughs> and then everybody's like, okay, you're frozen? You're frozen. I'm you're frozen. Sorry. Can, I, can I, is this working? <laughs> I tell you, it's, so, it's Thank hilarious. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, we are so excited to have you on. So am I. So am I. I'm a big fan of yours. So. What? Get yeah. out of here. I'm going to die right now. <laughs> she was really excited for this episode. <laughs> really? Oh, God. I got an email about having you on the show, and I saw the email, and I literally, I, I emailed my manager back, and I was like, absolutely, I love him. Like, oh, great. I, Thank you so much. I've been a fan for a very long time. I first saw you in one of my favorite, favorite movies, which is Fool's Russian. I've right, right. A times, but you, you were like two years old, right? You were like three or four. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wish, but thank you. Thank you so much. But you, your work, man, you've got like a CVS receipt list of works. Like you. <laughs> CVS receipt. It's it so really good. is. Like the yeah, I've been around for a minute. Insane. You've been in the business now, what, 30 years? 30 years, yeah. Yeah, almost, yeah. I've been, I've been around, you know, I'm, I'm a character actor, so I'm like, I don't like to be the leads in too much thing because people remember you too much. So I play like, I kind of get around in small roles here and there, so you, my longevity is, is much, much better that way, I think. It's been, I mean, you've played so many different characters, and they've yeah. all been impactful in the story. That's the thing, yeah. like, just because it's a character doesn't mean that it's not a part of this bigger whole. And right. it tells such a, a good point of view of the story when, when people remember your character. You're just like, oh, I remember that character because it was so right. impactful. Oh my right. God, meet people, with friends. Yeah, I, it, it's a always, lot of people remember friends too. It's probably because of the closing scene when they call you a butt much. Right. And I, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny. There's a list of, like, of Monica's worst dates or boyfriends or something, and I'm, like, in the top five of that list. So I'm very proud of being one of five Latinos on Friends and being yes, Monica's yes. ex-boyfriend, you know? That, so, that yeah, it's crazy. huge. Yeah. So um, we have this thing where we do. We do, like, three rapid-fire questions, uh -oh, and okay. I ask them all, you know, uh, at the same time, you know, I'll, I'll throw them at you and you it can answer whichever one is most important to you. You can you answer it. first, whatever order. Got so um, the first one, where are you from? What is your Zodiac sign? How did you get started as an actor? And we have a bonus question. What do you consider your first big break? Okay, I was born in uh, New York City. I'm from New York, uh, Cuban descent. I am a Capricorn. Um, and um, what was the other quick questions? Um, how did you get started as an actor and what do you oh. consider your first big break? How did I get started? I used to be a, a break dancer, like a locker and popper back in the days. Yeah. Wow. So that's how I kind of got into the business. And I did a, I remember doing like a Taco Bell commercial or something and they asked me to lock and stuff. And then I thought, oh my God, this is a great way to make a living. And I figured <laughs> I do that. So I was, you know, I was raised in Miami. So I spent a lot of time in Miami. When I was 19, I went back to New York and kind of, you know, got more seriously into it. And then from there, I lived in Europe, dancing for a while, and then 
came back to New York, then started doing theater and Broadway musical theater, and then went to LA. But my big, big break, I think, was, was ER. I did a show back in the day called ER. Yeah. It was a medical show. And it was, it was big because it was like, you know, it was a reoccurring character right at the beginning of, it was at the beginning of the second season of ER when it really started popping. So that to me was like what kind of put me, catapulted me into, into TV a lot. Wow. Yeah, that was um, Raul Melendez. Raul Melendez, yeah. yeah. Good memory, or you're reading it, one or the other. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, but that was a great part, too, because I, I got to work with Juliana Margulies uh, when I was beginning of her career, and, and, and that was such a huge show at the time, huge. Yeah, well, um, we actually had a question in relation to your ER character. Okay. Um, so there is a reason why we know that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, as an actor who played a notable gay character with the portrayal of Ra Raul Melendez right. on ER during a time that it was still taboo on network television, how right. was the, the story, how has the storytelling landscape changed for diverse characters, whether it be Latino or gay or both? Like, how do you feel like it's changed? Yeah, you know, for ER, they, they kind of like wanted to do a storyline and then they kind of dropped the whole thing. So it really didn't develop into like a, a gay character. Um, but when it comes to diversity and stuff, I mean, things have changed for us. We're still, you know, I mean, Hollywood still pins us in that stereotypical role. But um, I think little by little, you know, we, we, we're, we're such a powerful, you know, entity in the, in the United States that you can't put us all as, as narcos and drug dealers and janitors. And, you know, we're real people. We're doctors, we're lawyers, we're mayors, we're, you know, we're, we're in the Supreme Justice you know, um, in, in Washington, I think we, you know, we've gotten better, but we still don't have the momentum that we need as Latinos here in the United States to really push our programming and have like a, an audience that actually really, because we're so divided within our cultures, you know, we're Mexican, Cuban, Puerto Rican. So it's hard to create like one voice in the United States for us. Um, but it has gotten better. Our, our show is a big example, you know, for ABC to do a show like Baker and the Beauty, have it be a Latin family, just happen to be Latin. They don't sell drugs, they just happen to be a family. And you know, it's a big network, so it's a, it's, it's a big move for their part, putting you know, a Latin family on, on the forefront like that. Yeah, that's what we, um, so we both been watched the show like recently. Oh, and, really? Yeah, and, and <laughs> I mean, the first thing was really about that it was a, a Latino family, but it wasn't like, it's, that's not the central theme necessarily. Right, they just happen right. to be that. Because, exactly. I mean, even knowing anything about Miami and the landscape of Miami, it makes sense that it would have been a Latino family. And I know that right. the show is based off of another show. Um, right. I believe it's from Israel? Yeah, it's an Israeli, it's an Israeli version of a show in Israel. And that had kind of the same premise. There were bakers, but they were Israeli. And the family, it's only a half hour show, so the family in the Israeli version doesn't, is not that big a part of the show. It's more concentrated on, on the kids. So, but you know, when we did it, we were gonna do an hour show and the, the creator of it, uh, Dean said, you know what, I'd like to explore more of who this family is and make them Cuban because the Cubans, you know, were a big part of, of you know, the first immigrants that came to Miami and stuff. So, so he, and, and the mixture of, you know, South Beach and the whole celebrity thing of international. So mixing these two worlds together, what would happen? And I think that's, that's what our show really represents. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot about the show that stands out. And um, one of my favorite scenes was honestly when the scene where Natalie comes out to her parents. 
Right. And what I loved about it was instead of having the dad be the machista that goes right. off and gets angry, it was the mom dealing with her feelings of feeling separated from her daughter. Like, when did I not know my daughter? And the scene with you and Natalie is so touching the way that he handles talking to his daughter. Were you, how did you feel about that? The fact that they didn't go the typical machista route. You know, it's funny because our, our, the creator of our show, before we even started our first episode, we all got in the room and he let us talk about how we saw each character and our relation to everybody else. And, and, and at that point, I told him, I said, you know, I don't want to play the typical macho Latin that is always portrayed like this. He drinks at in the afternoons and then, you know, and I will say, I really want to flip it completely. I want him to be the one that has this compassion for his daughter. I want him to be sensitive. I want him to be empathetic about his children. You know, I wanted to, to be like the dad that I wish a lot of dads were, or dads that I've seen, you know, because I, you know, I, I didn't grow up in the culture so, you know, forcefully. So I've seen a lot of friends and families, how they dealt with being, you know, being part of these two cultures, being Cuban, but then having to be in America and, so I wanted to really flip the, the, the switch on, on his, him as a dad. I wanted to do something completely different. And, and that was the main thing is, that, you know, some, how would you feel about your daughter being gay? How would you feel about it? And I said, I would be incredibly compassionate for it. And I would be there, whatever she needs. And they were like, great. <laughs> and that was all they needed to hear. They kind of went off and wrote it, wrote it this way. And, and the character, my, my part throughout the whole thing is very, you know, you, he's not your typical dad, you know? And I think a lot of people, it's really rung to a lot of Latinos seeing this father figure that, wow, I've gotten a lot of things. I wish my dad like was like this, or God, I'm telling, or I've shown my dad to show and he's getting all these, you know, because I, it's, it's just a dad going through things, but you know, in a different, different manner. So it's been, it's been beautiful to play this part actually. I did have a question because this is something that's so interesting when I watch um, shows with the central like Latino family and you know this is one on the landscape I mean you know there's Hentified there's all these other shows I think the significance of this show is also that it's on ABC that it's on this specific network and it's being yeah. pushed the way that it is right. um, but you kind of touched upon them asking you guys like how you see your characters but how right. does that also go into the writing of like Spanglish and the dialogue because I feel like like watching you and everyone else I wondered um was that improv is that something that was on the page just yeah. understanding that yeah um the, the girl who plays my wife Lisa Vidal is an incredible actress and I've known her socially for like 25 years because we've both been in business for a long time but I never worked with her so once we started working with each other and talking about the characters we were on such the same level as how we were going to play these characters. So we immediately clicked. And when we said, listen, she's Puerto Rican. And I said, you know, you will, you, you know, your character could be Puerto Rican, Cuban, I'm Cuban, but we're going to both bring our caribeños into the show. Yeah. And, and, and we did it. We told the writers, listen, we're going to throw in our stuff. You can use whatever you want and you don't use whatever you don't want, but we're going to throw it in there because I think that's what makes us culturally funny. That's what makes us who we are. And that's how we are in real life, you know? So, and the writers were extremely open for us to play like that. And, um, you know, and it's funny because we would say, okay, let's do it once scripted, like it's in the script. 
And then they go, okay, let's do another take. You do guys, you do what you want to do. And 80% of the time, that's a take that they use. So it's the little things that we, we put in. It's what I think creates the chemistry of this whole family, you know? Also, we shot it in Puerto Rico, which our crew was Puerto Rican. So as soon as we got to the set, it was like salsa music was playing. Había cafecito, cortadito for everybody. There's, you know, there's pastel de guayaba at the catering. So the feeling of family, it just kind of went right into the crew because that was our audience. You know, it was all Puerto Rican. We all spoke Spanish the whole time. So that kind of gave us this love that just kind of just fed into the family as well. Wow. Yeah. That is incredible, though, that not only do you have a primarily Latino cast, but your crew is I also know. Latino. And how is that like having representation both in front of and behind the scenes? How does that change the working of a project? Right. I don't ever want to work not like that again. You know, <laughs> I, I really do. Because, and, I, and I'm saying we have great crews in the United States. I mean, we have the best crews. But when you work with people that, you know, are, are super talented, because all the crew are extremely talented. They work in New York all the time. They work on big features, big films. But the fact that there was this type of show filming in Puerto Rico, they all wanted to come home and, and be a part of this and experience this and, and you know, and, and get paid, but also work with, you know, in your country. What, what better choice, you know? So that was, that was something that was incredible. And I think we need that so much more too yeah. in our community, not only crews, but writers, producers, you know, we need to, we need to push the envelope because once we push it and we hit, you know, Hollywood season and go like, Oh my God, let's, you know, let's, let's do this, but it doesn't happen enough, you know, and we just gotta, we gotta keep pushing and keep pushing for it. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. I think it's very different when you're working with, um, your people not yeah. to sound like exclusionary but it's like it's just a different feel and i think when you're working with latino writers and latino crew the communication is totally. so much better right. when writers know about the culture firsthand exactly it's yeah. like when you you talk to somebody who's like puerto rican or cuban as soon as they know all of a sudden there's this yeah this feeling of comfort and like oh my god um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? That feeling, we felt it throughout the five months that we were there shooting. So can you imagine like creating something? It was, it was amazing. So you were five months in PR shooting? Five months, five wow. months. We went through earthquakes, hurricanes, tsunamis. Wow. Uh, yeah, we went through everything in Puerto Rico. You guys went through everything over went there. Through everything. What over was there. that experience like with all the that stuff was, going on? That was crazy, you know? I mean, it's amazing. The Puerto Rican people are so amazing and so resilient and so... You know, you're damn right we are. You, you're welcome, world. You know, are you Puerto Rican? Yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, it was it was just this feeling of of that they're resilient and they they can take anything. But I'm telling you, that poor little island, it gets you know banged so much that I don't know how it it survives because it's just one thing after another. And you know, the earthquakes were scary because we would have them like every day. You know, like three or four earthquakes a day for like two months. So even when they were in the south part of Puerto Rico, but still it affected us, you know? Earthquakes are absolutely terrifying. I only ever experienced one and I was in California. I was right. laying in a hotel bed. I think I was in Ontario for a gig and the earthquake happened and I was like, I just picked up my face mask and I was like, all right. <laughs> I just kind of, I was frozen. <laughs> I was frozen in bed. I was like, all right, this is, this is what happens. I'm not leaving this bed. I can't move. I was so froze. Everything in my room was shaking. It was, 
I was terrified. I was terrified enough that I did not move from that bed. I can't imagine yeah. experiencing that. Experiencing that in Puerto Rico because yeah. I've been in LA and I live here and stuff. But when I got to Puerto Rico on that first day, the second day we were there, we had an earthquake. Wow. And I was like, this cannot, this cannot be, this is a joke. I, yeah. I can't believe I came from LA to Puerto Rico and I'm getting an earthquake in Puerto Rico. This was like, and that was, and from there on, it was like, just, just crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. Well, you see, even like um, we were talking about with the, the Latino and the Latinos in the crew. So when I'm looking at the, the set design, even that, the intricacies of how much that mattered. Because oh like, I think of what um, Latino homes look like, Latino businesses look like. Right. But even something like, um, I know uh, uh, the, the, the oldest son's girlfriend, like the ex-girlfriend, right. even her, her like apartment what that would look like for her generation, but in Miami, like the details are so specific. Yeah. It either is somebody who's well-informed or somebody who they themselves is expressing a part of culture. He was amazing. Our art director was amazing because first being Cuban, being raised in Miami, I was, I know these bakeries. I grew up going to these bakeries. So I was ready to go like, you know, cause usually, you know, when they put a Latin something, they'll put a big cross, with a, you know, a Guadalupe thing, you know, painted yellow and green, and this is Latin, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was waiting for that to ball to drop. And when I walked into that bakery, I was, I, I almost got tears, because it reminded me of when I was a kid growing up. To the tea, I mean, to the Fabuloso on the corner, to the Cafe Butelo, it was so well done. And this friend of mine, Yul Vasquez, who's a, a great actor as well, Cuban, he says, you know, that reminds me of this bakery that I used to go to when I was a kid. And it's the same bakery that's still in Southwest A Street. They went there, they replicated, they took wow. pictures everywhere, and they made it exactly the same in not only in, in Atlanta, where we shot the pilot, but then again in Puerto Rico. Um, the details to, from the, the, the store to the bakery itself, it was amazing. And that's, again, that all those little things is what makes the show special. And when you do see it, you go like, you know, the bakery to me is like a, a separate character. As soon as you see the bakery come into the camera, you know that there's going to be like something interesting, funny, the family, love, you know, it, it's, a, it's a character in our show. It really is. It was one of the yeah. first things that hit me was how accurate, the accuracy of that set design. When I right. first saw it, I was like, I've been in so many bakeries that look like that, that have that um, family-owned feel, too. Oh, that, a it's big... like a bodega, like a New York bodega. They sell yeah. everything in that bakery, you know? You can, yes. You yeah. know, everything. Even See, the communication. So I yeah. think of bakeries, and this is going to sound weird, but um, maybe I've, I've never been to Miami at all, but I know that bakeries in New York have a yellow tint. I don't know why. They all have this homely yellow tint that right. makes you smell each pastry. I don't know what it is, but when I watched that show, I was like, oh, I smell it. Like, I know what I'm walking yeah. into, and they, they do that, you yeah. know? Um, which that was immediately the first thing you sold me. Before somebody even spoke, you sold right. me on what I'm seeing. The, I'm seeing, yeah. Yeah, the batelitos and everything. You know, I mean, and all that is authentic, man. That's that we learn how to do. We spend a week in, like, you know, hardcore learning pastelito baking, you know, school for me, Victor Rasuk and David Del Rio to learn how to make these pastries. So I thought it was, I go, I tell the guy, listen, it's gonna, this is TV, you have a close up. No, 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 we were there for a week, six hours a day, baking, learning how to bake cakes, Cuban bread. 
I mean, it was like like hardcore. Yeah, we we came out of there going like. Yeah. Did you yeah. try to bake it at home? <laughs> did you try? No, to yeah, I know. I didn't. As soon as I left, I was like, "Get that bakery at the," you know. But but during the show and while we were filming, yeah, we were we were we were on top. But we were doing all those all those um, dulces ourselves. So. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. What oh would God. you say is like um, kind of like something that people wouldn't know about the show in regards to like maybe something that was hard to tackle, something that was hard to film? Because I find the show, it, it's very interesting. Um, it has a very ABC feel, which I think is homely for anybody who doesn't understand like Latino culture, but still feels very much the brand in itself. Mm -hmm. But watching the show, I feel like um, it gives you both comedy, but there are some harder moments. Cause I know that the episode that last premiered um, without spoiling anything, uh, things just got real for the family, right? right? And, and on all fronts. Um, for you in general, has there been anything that has been tackled or you see coming in the future that you're like, oh, um, this is very interesting to talk about, whether as an actor, you know, in, to, in any, to any degree? Yeah, you know, it's funny because when we, when we, the first few episodes were a lot of fun and they were a lot of funny and stuff. And I, and I love that because I said, wherever you go with the show, you got to fall in love with this family. You know, and you got to fall in love with the relationship that my son is having with this woman, too. No matter where you want to go, you can make it serious and you can take these issues later on. But if the audience doesn't fall in love with this family first, they're not going to follow them into the drama. You know, so that was one of my concerns. And, and, and they've done it very well. Um, of course, you need conflicts in any kind of drama. It's an hour show. So you got to keep it interesting. you got to keep it focused. And the storylines, like the storyline with my daughter, you know, that storyline wasn't going to be as big as it is. And I think because of the, because of her being such an amazing actress and also the relation to the girl who came in, who was going to do a couple of episodes alone, she stayed for the rest of the season because that storyline popped out so beautifully that the writers thought we have to go with this. We have to, we have to explore where this relationship goes. Um, we didn't know that was going to happen. Um, so that's, that's one aspect of it that has, you know, has blossomed. Um, you know, I think w what's coming, there's two, the two or three episodes coming now are pretty intense. And you're going to see like, okay, this is what happens to a regular family that's been trying to make it for all these years. And how do they react to it? You know? So those were the things that, but her storyline, my daughter's storyline, I think is one of the most beautiful things that have come out of it and unexpected that I didn't think they were going to go with it. So. I think that's one of um, one of the things that I love the most is that they even tackled a storyline like that on right. a major network. You don't see a lot of bravery in storylines like that coming right. from networks because of the cancel culture and how afraid everybody is of exactly. people complaining. But particularly when it's a, a Latino-led cast, where it's like, right. we've already taken a chance. Why would right. we take more chances? So knowing that that storyline happened, I remember I was, I was watching the episode and I was like, <gasps> All right. I know. Oh my God, they're going to go there. And I was like so excited to see and kind of proud that they pushed that out there like that. Yeah. ABC has been amazing in letting us really, not only with, because I, with it, when it comes to music, you know, one thing that I told, I told them at the beginning, because as soon as I got this part, I was like, listen, I, I want to make sure that you guys are on top of this. And you're really going to, if it's going to be a whitewash kind of thing, I really, you know, I've been around for a long time. I don't need to do it. I don't want to play a Cuban and be ashamed of playing a Cuban. 
So let me know if you're really going to be into this or not. Because I told him, you know, music is a huge part of our culture, just Caribbean music, you know, with the type of artists that we have. Music, as Latinos, music, we have gone way past like we ever thought we were. Yeah. You know, and I thought, you have to fill this, this show with our music, you know. And yeah. they've done an incredible job. No, yeah. The music. If you go to Spot, if you, we have a Spotify, the Baker and the Beauty Spotify list. The music that comes out there is amazing. If you listen to it, you know, it's just they did a beautiful job of, of representing us musically as well. Um, so ABC, kudos to ABC for really taking the chance with this because they've, they've gone all out on a limb on, you know, and one of their best time slots, which is after The Bachelor, to, to really give us that push and let us shine in that, in, in, on, their, on their network. So hopefully we'll get a season two and hopefully, you know, people will be proud enough to keep watching the show, you know, because I think it means a lot. And it's, it's a grassroots show, you know, I think it's about word of mouth. It's about people telling each other. That's how this show is going to succeed, I think. Most definitely. I mean, I, I was actually thinking that in the last episode, they did an entire uh, moment with Mateo's character who's trying to knock on a door and right. it's really centralized on, I believe it's a Romeo Santos song. Yes, exactly. And, like, and for me, at first, I'm like watching it, but I think I was like probably on my computer at the same time. And I'm like, I'm not, I haven't heard an inkling of dialogue. So I rewatched it and then I'm like, it's all set on his action. But right. it's really the song. The and then song I go, the got. fact that it's on ABC, right? Like right. that song, like it's so big in so many different ways. But it also wasn't a cliche song. It wasn't suavemente. Right, right, was, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, they're, they're, how they've melted. When we were, there's a scene where we're breaking down the wall and they're putting this Daddy Yankee song. And I'm just like, oh my God, how brilliant of them to like, you know, to put this in. And you know the feeling of like I, I mean it's it's I get goosebumps just thinking about it because it's so I'm so proud of being part of of a of, of a show that I've imagined for 30 years that I'd like to do and I'm doing it and it's represented well uh, on TV you know it's it's um it's a dream come true for me yeah because representation is one thing but proper representation yes. is another. It's another. There's a big difference. Yeah. For a long time, we just strive for representation. So we would take whatever we could get. And so yeah. it, was, it was that. And now what I feel like a lot of, you know, Latino, Latinx-based shows are fighting for is proper representation of there's exactly. so much more to us than just I'm Cuban, I'm Puerto Rican, I'm this, I'm that. Exactly. Know about the culture. Right, right. It's true. And you are right. The music is a big part of just Latinidad in general. Like, it's just a big part of telling our story. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge part. And, and again, I even told him, I said, you should have, you know, Pitbull or Daddy Yankee or somebody on our show doing something because that's, you know, the million. Camila Cabello has like 15 million followers or something. Yes, like, having somebody like that on the show is so impactful. Yeah, it's so impactful, you know, so yeah. impactful. And but relevant. Like, yeah. It's totally. something relevant to the culture of Miami, relevant to the culture of, of, of being Cuban and having that in there would be, I mean, I hope ABC, yeah. if you're listening. Yeah. If you're listening to ABC, you better bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> bring the show back because right. we are officially addicted. And <laughs> so true. Yeah. Officially I have, addicted. I have you. another question. This is a random, really random question. Uh, if you, because, you know, you've been in business for so long. Yeah. Um, but if there was a film or show 
or anything that you could remake mm. and either play, portray a Latino character that was probably poorly portrayed, probably wasn't portrayed by a Latino, mm -hmm. or create an entirely new like spin where there's a new Latino family in it, what would it be? How do you know what? It's funny because one of my favorite movies, I don't know if you probably know it, it's, it's a movie called Cinema Paradiso. Mm -hmm. It's an old Italian movie and it's about an old director who kind of revisits his, his mentor and it kind of goes back through his whole life. And I've always wanted to do a Latin version of that movie. Hmm. And it's funny that you asked me that question now because, you know, everybody says, well, who, what part do you want to play? And, blah, blah, blah. and you know, I go like, yeah, I, I'd like to work with people. But when you put it in that sense, I go like, this is the movie that I'd love to remake. You know, it was an Italian movie but make it in, in our present time with a, a Latino, Latino cast, I think would, would be very, very cool. Very cool. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I want to work with, you know, I, I did In the Heights with Lin-Manuel and, and Kiara, Alegria Hoodies, who wrote it. You know, I want to work with people like that, people that are innovative, that are Latin, that are just young and willing to take chances and really pushing the boundaries um, I think we need to do that. You know, we need to like keep going and, and you know, and, and not settle for second less, you know, not really settle because to this year to me, I thought this is going to be our year. As soon as I heard that Shakira and JLo were going to do the, the halftime Super Bowl, I thought, yeah. we're done. This is our year. <laughs> in the Heights, the movie comes in in June. You know, our show comes in now. I thought we're going to like roll into this Latin party and, you know, unfortunately, this corona hit it and kind of put a damper on everything. But yeah, but I think the momentum can continue. You know, I think we can continue yeah. the momentum because we're we're here and we're, we have some great projects. Hentify just got picked up for a second season now. You know, yeah. I think they're they're believing in our in our stories and and I think it's important. I think a part of that too is our stories are finally getting told the right way. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of that has to do with it, where it's proper telling of the stories versus this muted version. That right people for years just for the sake of diversity on their network we're trying to tell. And right. it's like, no, now these stories are being written. It's like for, you know, for us, by us. Like there are Latino writers in that room. Like yeah. they are talking about our stories and telling them properly. And there is something in terms of acting that um, I wanted to ask you as somebody who has like basically paved the way and opened doors for people with the roles that you've played, having been in the business for so long, what are some of the hardships that you faced in the beginning of your career that you feel that aspiring Latino actors now will either still have to face or maybe don't have to face anymore because the industry has opened up now because of people like you and Lisa who have paved the way for young Latino actors? You know, I think, I think at the bottom, the bottom is, is have integrity for what you're playing and who you're playing. And, you know, even when I played bad guys, I always tried to find some kind of humanity in it, some way to twist it and make it turn so the audience doesn't see just one side of a character. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we're going to have the narco roles. We're going to have the, you know, but I think there's a time where you got to stop and say, you know, I don't want to be represented in this way. Because I did for like a couple of years. I didn't work as much because I said, I cannot play another drug dealer. You know, I've played them all a, a million different ways. I can't do it anymore. So I think it's really having respect for who you are as a person and, and making good choices and really planning your career out. Do what you have to do to make a living, but once you get an opportunity to have choices, really make good choices because you can make good choices. 
um, and really have integrity for the parts that you do because that's very, very, very important. Yeah. yeah. And be so trained. A lot of actors, you know, a lot of young actors say, you know, I want to try this acting thing. I'm like, dude, it's not like an acting thing. You know what I'm saying? If you want to, if you want to be an actor, take a class, go to acting class, go see, you know, go to a museum, go see art, go be creative, stay in the arts. It's not like a hobby that you're going to go and, you know, you might work, but then I, you, you won't have like a technique to base yourself in. So, you know, and I, I think it, a lot of actors have to be prepared. You know, I've seen a lot of actors that are just not well trained and they think, man, I don't know why I couldn't get this gig and I was perfect for the role. And, but these, this is our huge industry. You know, these episodes are three, four million dollars a piece. If you're not trained and if you're not, you can't bring in the goods when they need it, then, you know, it's, it's a big problem for production. So you got to be trained and, and prepared, well prepared when, when the opportunity comes. Yeah, because it is really embarrassing. I've, I've done very little acting, but there's been times when I've been on set with somebody who clearly, I almost over-prepare because mm -hmm. I'm a comic first. So right. I respect the fact that, you know, I, I'm in somebody else's world right now. So right. I'm going to do all the studying, all the practicing that I can so that right. I'm as prepared as to not disrespect the art form. But right. I've worked with people that consider themselves actors that right. have been painfully unprepared. Yeah. And it's embarrassing as somebody who's like, somebody who doesn't, would never label themselves just an actress as I, like I said, I'm a comic first, who right. still has so much respect for it to watch somebody who has, you know, the balls to call themselves an actor who doesn't know their lines, right? didn't prepare for the scene they were shooting that day. Mm -hmm. It's just so disrespectful to come into, especially when you're working with serious actors. Right, right. And then it makes, it puts us in a bad light. There's all these Latinos, you know, whatever the Latino, we give them a Latino part and they can get it. You didn't like, you know, it, it, it represents us too, you know? We have to be doubly prepared as everybody else. Yes. Because they're waiting to just say like, okay, look, we give you guys a try, you screwed up, you know. We have to come in there and give 150%. And we gotta leave there and they're going like, wow, we gotta write something for this guy or we gotta bring him back or we got, you know. Um, yeah. That's how we're at and that's how we gotta continue our career. And know? that's in every aspect of entertainment. Cause I remember when I started as a comic, um, there was an older comic and pulled me aside. He was an older African-American comic. And he said to me, um, you are female and you are Latina. That means you not only have to be better than every guy that touches that stage, you got to be better than every person that touches that stage for anybody to care about you. Right, right. And he was 100% right. Yeah. If, if I wasn't stronger than other people that had touched that stage, I was forgotten like this. I was never booked again. Right. I was told I was not needed. Exactly. Because yeah. they had met their quota. And yeah, so it's so it important that we stay on top of we our game. To. Yeah, we have to. And and as writers and, and producers and stuff, we have to we have to create our own content too. You know, there's so many there's so many avenues to put our products in now. So yeah. many streaming services, so many, you know, instead of trying so much to be in front of the camera, we gotta be writing our own things. We gotta be producing our own things. Yeah. You know, because that's that's where the gold is. You know, that's when you can have the power. Gloria Calderon Kelly, you know, she's in a powerhouse in the industry now, you know, with one day at a time. Yeah. And, you know, but we need 10 of Gloria Calderon Kelly's out there. Right. Yeah. So we can have enough product that we're all working, you know? Yeah, absolutely, so, totally agree with that. We do have a, we have a segment on the show where people write in for yeah. advice. Uh -huh. And we all take a stab at giving them advice. 
Right. So uh, I will read the, the Dear Gina for today. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dear Gina, my mother owns a bodega that she inherited from her grandparents. Um, I've helped her at the bodega since I was a child because it gave me a chance to see my friends while making her happy. I'm a recent grad with a degree in business uh, and a major, I'm sorry, and a minor in graphic design. I'm sure my mother assumes I want to take over the bodega and help her once again. I really want to open up a shop of my own as a designer. I fear telling her that I don't want to work for her for, for the bodega anymore, but I don't want to break her heart or seem ungrateful. How should I approach this? Um, this is, I mean, it's very fitting. It's very fitting uh, question. Um, it's funny because, growing up like my mom never had like a business that she did but she worked at this pharmacy for like the longest time and so when i had to take a job for the first time the first thing she did was get me a job at this pharmacy of course and i hated it <laughs> i i hated working there for so long um i made friends and got used to it and i was happy to be with my mom at work mm. um but i also like my parents are second generation so i think it's it's a generational thing number one Right. Uh, because my parents were second generation, my mother understood that I was going to have my own dreams and I was going to have my own things that I want to do. Right. So she never forced me to stay in what she thought the idea of my life should be. Mm -hmm. But I think with a lot of parents that own businesses that are, you know, maybe first generation or like, you know, straight, straight off the island, right. to them, there's so much of their culture tied into that business that mm -hmm. it can be hard to break away from that because then it feels like a disrespect, not only to the parents, but to the culture. Right. Um, in my experience, honesty is the best policy. Totally. Sitting down and having a one-on-one -on -one with your mother, sitting down and having an honest conversation and letting her know what your dreams are and what you want to do is probably the best way to handle it. That's, mm -hmm. that would be my advice is just having an open conversation. And yeah, maybe you expect her to get a little defensive. This is, you know, her business and you've, you're her child. So right. Right. I, I would expect a little bit of defensiveness, but go in there ready to state your case. I agree. I think that's great. And it's, and the, it, like you say, that has to do, it's a cultural thing. I think the second generations that come here, you know, every generation learns a little bit from the past generation and we don't want to, we respect our elders, but we also have our ideas of where we want to go and what we want to do with our lives. And I think if she were to like sit down with her mom and really explain her dreams and what she wants to do, as hard as it is, because I'm dealing with this as the character in the show, it's it's you realize that your kids have their own dreams and their own visions of what they want to do. And just because you had your idea of where you wanted them to go, that's not exactly where they want to go, you know? And um, and she's not going to be happy. You got to understand 10 years from her, she's going to be in that store miserable thinking of what she could have done with her life instead of, you know. So I think for her sake, uh, it, I think it, being honest is the best policy. Um, on mine, I think it's about, like, I agree with both of you about honesty is the best policy. But also, um, I don't have any experience like that. Like, my parents never owned a business. But uh, my mom left us all an apartment, right? But, like, my, my mom, like, having, for my, in my situation, an immigrant parent, it really was about what you leave your kids, right? Like how do they survive? When I'm gone, how, what did I leave them? So I think acknowledging that, right? So 
one thing with my mother was always, um, you guys have this apartment, so in her situation, the bodega, because if, if all else fails, you have this. That's how she looked at it. Right. So um, when with, with me, it, would, it always became my sisters got it, and then when they left, it was left to me. I'm the youngest. And it was like, I can't lose this apartment because now my mother wants to make sure that in some way it gets left to a grandkid. So right. my job is to not live here forever. It's to go, how do I do the things I want to do? Go where I want to go, live where I want to live. But make sure it's not like, hey, thanks for the apartment, but eso se fue allá, like when I'm gone. Right. How do I still work out a deal where she still has it in our name and it, get, it, it helps the next generation while I still get to pursue the things I want to pursue? So that's also a mature way of like, talking to her where you go, I see your initial like um, purpose and right. I also see the greater purpose and that, that um, in immigrant fear of like, we can't have nothing. Like I didn't come here to have nothing and right. you can't be left with nothing. Acknowledging that even though honesty is the best policy, policy right. just making sure she's heard. Cause I think right. that's really important. I think that's, yeah, that is true. Making sure she's heard and now you're, you're very appreciative of it. But you have, if there's a way to deal, you know, to make it work, but you have your dreams and you will have your, your future that you want to see, you know, go with your life and stuff. So, yeah, I think we're all three right on that one. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we uh, solved your problem. You solved your problem. <laughs> Buy an apartment, sell the bodega, and uh, <laughs> I think we're good. You know, it's funny, there's a place called Bodega up on, because I, when I lived in New York on eight, I think it's 87th in Amsterdam or something, and it was a guy who actually, his dad had a Bodega there, and, you know, the dad wanted to sell it, give it to his kid, and his kid turned it into like a bar kind of restaurant place. It's called Bodega on 87th. Yeah. Oh, and it's, and it, and I, it's a great place. It's, um, it's not a picture of the place, but it's a great place, and the story is that, you know, his, this was a Bodega for many years. And once the son got, he says, you know what? I want to keep the bodega, but I'm going to turn it into a, like a, like a, a sports bar kind of restaurant place. And, and it does very well. So. Wow. It's a, it's a dream reimagined. It exactly. is. It's a dream reimagined. Which is something you don't normally see families being okay with. So it's nice I to know. see some kind of modernization of the idea of leaving something for your kids, which I do think exactly. is a big aspect, like Catherine was saying, of what her mom was pr probably trying to do. Like, I'm trying to leave something for you. Right. Because there is that mentality of like, when I'm gone, how are you going to be taken care of? Like, as a parent, you know, how, how am I going to take care of you? You always think it's your responsibility, even after you're gone, to yeah. take care of your grown ass kids. And yeah. so, <laughs> and also you like, work so much. You, yeah. you have worked so much, you've sacrificed. You know, that first immigrant that comes to this country, their sacrifices and the challenges that they have to build anything. And coming to a country, you don't know the language, you don't know anybody, you come from zero. You built this business, you built something. You, you don't want to go to waste. You, yeah. know? you built it for your kids. That's the reason you built it. It's for your kids. So, you know, for your kids to say like, ah, oh, thanks, Dad, but I'm, I, don't, I don't really want it. It's stuff that I'm dealing with now in the show with, with my son that he wants to do his own thing. And, you know, is a frustration as an immigrant dad that I've sacrificed everything in my life for this store, for this bakery. And now you have, now this girl comes and you're going to like, just like leave this behind, you know? Yeah. There's an element of almost disrespect that comes with that idea of you haven't even considered what I've sacrificed. Exactly. To, to build this for not only my well-being, just building a business, but for your future. 
I've sacrificed for your future. Exactly. And you're not even acknowledging that that sacrifice exists. Exactly. I love that, like, um, again, no spoilers, but when it was kind of lightly tackled, um, I mean, at first, when I first watched it, I was like, I wonder if the parents are going to pressure this character into mm -hmm. like, this is what you must do. But your character made such a good point, and it's about acknowledgement. It's about, if you have your own dreams, cool, but what are you doing to make that a, a real thing? Not like, how are you kind of tiddling with it here and there? How can you make it a reality where you currently are? in right. your life and with the resources you have. And right. the fact that you're not even acknowledging that lets me know you're not living in reality. And therefore, that is why it's insulting that you won't see everything we've done for you. That, that's why acknowledgement is such a big deal. You should write for our show. <laughs> Great ideas. Like, uh, it's very true. You guys some, uh, some uh, episodes written during quarantine. I know a girl that's very talented. <laughs> yeah. It's been two and a half months. She's got a whole ten episodes done. Yeah. She binge watched um, the show. She knows everything about the characters. I'm yeah. like, I'll send you my card. Yeah, right. No, but it's true. And I, you know, and I see Mateo as, you know what? I that's my one kid that I thought had no dreams, and that he was just like this airy kind of thing. And all of a sudden, when he breaks me down and tells me what I did, you know, then I see it. I it was like a aha moment where I go like, okay, I see where he, he does have a dream. He does have something that he wants to do where I'm focused all on my older son that he's going to take this dream and good or not. You know, all of a sudden, all my, my directions are like, you know, reestablished now because of, of this situation. So yeah. It, and again, the writers did, did a beautiful job of, of I shed a little tear when you built the studio. I was like, <laughs> right. It's yeah. so beautiful. I was so touched. That scene was so, so his, his reaction, everything, the way yeah. he's so talented. That great kid. father son so, moment. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so no, he, they're they're writing some really really powerful stuff with us, you know. And as a as a again as a Latino, again that's another thing. As actors, we don't get to play these roles like this. Yeah, you know. For me, I always I I the only you know I would come here to L.A. and I'd work and I do parts, but you know you get a guest star, you have one scene, you holding the gun, don't stop, I'll kill you. But you know we all know how to act that. But then we get a scene with like a real family or the scene with that sentimental something. We don't know how to play because we've never played it. We've never had the opportunity to play it. So yeah. there's a lot of actors that have never played, a, 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 you know, just a quiet scene between a father and a daughter or, the, you know, because we don't, we, there's not enough shows for us to play it. And what I would do is whenever I, that would happen, I would go to New York and I'd do theater. Because mm. in theater, there was always a lot better writing for Latinos than in L.A. Yeah. So my thing is, as soon as things got too stale here, I would go and back to New York and I do off Broadway. I do readings, but with writers that are writing, you know, for Latinos and just families, and and then I come back here do the film, and then I go back again. So, and with this show, it's like finally we get to have some really good scenes, and with all Latino actors doing some really great work, comedy, drama. It's, it's like a you know, showcase for us. Yeah, I mean, you wanna know one of the things I found very interesting just as an anecdote. Usually you also think of Latino parents represented as like um, older and not sexy and in that way. But right. the characters you guys are playing, they're, you guys are creating this own little world of like, they are still a very like fresh couple. And totally. I find that very interesting because that's such, such a real thing, you know, like, I, 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 they're parents who not are like, oh, we're in love and we hate each other. No, it's like, we're in love and y'all see it. 
And that's yeah, we can't wait to like jump each other's bones. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's, you know, it's funny because our writer said, you know, there's three bakers in the beauties. You know, there really is because it's us, it's Mateo, it's, it's the, you know, my, my son with Noah. And because he just wanted to see that dynamic of love between all these three different generations. For me, you know, I hadn't played like a, a love scene and stuff like this in years. And I'm going like, wow, now they're going to give me love scenes. Now I get to make out with Lisa Vidal. I'm like, hello. You know? <laughs> and I'm on a series on ABC, like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I'm going like, this is great. But, you know, it's beautiful to, to write for older people that are older and are still in love and are still sexy and still want to go dance. And they're still passionate about who they are. You know, a lot of Latino parents aren't, you know, they're so yeah. tired. And it's like, and again, they're portrayed in a specific way. We have a whole new slate on that too, so it's, it's refreshing. Yeah, it is really refreshing to see the passion has lasted over the years between two parents in general, just not even just that they're Latino, but the fact that they're parents and they yeah. haven't lost that passion for each other. Right. And that there's a real communication and connection between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And their most intimate moments aren't always when they're just making out, it's their communication in those difficult moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of yeah. two people that still have a passion and understanding for each other that really is captivating. Right. Because yeah. you're like, oh, this is why they got married. I see, I could see this couple. Okay. This is exact. They're still in the roots of why they got married. Right. Yeah. right. And, and their storyline, um, one thing I also enjoy is that it's not focused on the kids in the way that, um, you know, like what's Mateo's dream? What's this person's dream? Even the expansion, that discussion that they're having mm -hmm. and that whole t tackling, like they had a dream. They bought that um, bakery, but then they had bigger dreams, right. right? And so seeing those things, like they have hurdles of their own aside from the, like, I feel like nothing's a B story. In many yeah. ways, nothing's a B story. Everything yeah. is an A story and each episode tackles it dependent, which yeah. I really like, because usually the B story is very obvious. Right. But in right. this one, I'm like, no, they, they literally led you up to like where they are right now and where they're going. Mm -hmm. that everything is central. You need to know every story and how it all connects, mm -hmm. um, which makes it very family-oriented. Yeah. Because it's not a young adult thing, and it's not a mature audience thing. It's everybody. Yeah. Anybody yeah. can watch it. It's so true, because we are, our, our, our writer said, you know, our creator, he said, you know, we have, I have eight stars that could have their own show on their own. And I get to play with eight really great, characters and storylines and so he's put everybody up on the on the you know on the pedestal to to write for us which has been great because sometimes it's like you say you feel that b storyline coming in like okay let me go get something let me go to the bathroom because this is happening now you know with us it's like everybody as as important as everybody else and yeah. i think that's also what people gravitate to you know also yeah. that aspect of like the parents life has not stopped they have not stopped growing as you know they have their own dreams and their own aspirations mm -hmm. which you don't see that a lot played out for people's parents on tv shows it's just like they're just dealing with the children's lives and yeah. the thought that parents can still have dreams like it's just like oh i didn't realize i didn't realize you guys were humans i, didn't right, exactly. like, I thought you were done yeah Are, you think <laughs> us, you're done your life is set yeah, right exactly I'm you've sorry. done great <laughs> so it's, exactly. It's, yeah, and it's funny because in this in, in our characters, you know, my wife, Mari, she's the one who wants to, you know, make take the chance, open up, you know, 
And again, I don't mind, but I'm always a little bit of hesitant because it's about this immigration mentality and this like, you know, I, I don't, I don't like to take chances. You know, I've worked very hard for what I got. So I don't want, I don't want to really take chances so much where she's more of a, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move yeah. on. And our love and our respect for each other. You know, we go little by little, but, but there's always a, a sense of, of caution from my part. And, and well, they yeah. write it beautifully in the show. I mean, it's also the balance in the story about the daughter. She's the cautious one, but he's not. He's the one who pushes her in that exact, it's like they literally are the, op, like they have, they know once to balance what yeah. the other one is. And what I haven't seen yet in those two characters is judgment. Like they don't judge each other. You yeah. know, they might not necessarily agree, but they don't judge each other. Yeah. So it's also a representation of like um, love in Latino communities and two people who genuinely complement each other. You know what I mean? So it's not this over-sexualized or not sexual enough and they're just kind of like enemies in right. some way. It's yeah. right in the middle. Which it's always love. Love is always the, 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 the constant in all, this, all the relationships between all of us. It's that we all love and respect each other. And yeah. I think that's what keeps us grounded. Yeah. yeah, and I think the fact that your character has trepidation about expanding, like his fear about it, speaks a lot to the amount of Latinos that, you know, come to the States and are afraid, even though they've built this thing, they're afraid to have too much attention on them. For mm -hmm. the simple fact that, will I get in trouble if right. this business blows up? Right. If there's a spotlight on me, am I in danger? Exactly. Exactly, because we're, you know, we are in danger, you know, yeah. we're the minority, it's always something. And so I think we, I, again, we step very cautiously through life sometimes. And, uh, you know, and, and yeah, and, and in my character as well. Yeah. It's incredible. Thank you so much for joining us. I will keep you here literally for Thank hours. you. This uh, is awesome. You guys have been one of the best interviews I've had. Seriously. You guys are so uh, smart. Uh, so you've seen the show and you're like, yeah, this is really cool. I appreciate Thank you it. so much. Um, tell, can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media? How can they support the show? Anything yeah. you want to shout out? ABC, uh, 10 o'clock on ABC on Monday nights. Please, we, we're, we're at a point right now where we really need the audience to, to show ABC that, they're, that we have a backing. Um, you can also see it on Hulu and on ABC On Demand. You could binge the first five episodes and then watch them on, on live the next day. Uh, it's, it's Carlos Gomez, uh, Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. So yeah, that's it. And I'm, I'm always posting about the show and stuff there. So yeah, definitely check out the page. I've already stalked and followed, awesome, uh, awesome. <laughs> Catherine, tell the lovely people where they can find you. Um, it's at Catherine G dot Mendoza. That's at K A T H E R I N E G dot M E N D O Z A on Instagram. Um, and TikTok. I, I forgot the name of that app. Um, and then Twitter, it is Kathy Grace two four K A T H I E G R A C E the left the numbers two four. Very good, you spelled your name right. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I <did>. uh, <laughs> so where where does this show uh, show up? Where does this where this you, will you, be where? on our um, podcast network? It's called Mess in Progress. Is the podcast name? It'll be up on iTunes. It'll be up on Spotify, Google Play, and the video will go up on Patreon for our Patreon users. Um, so they'll get to actually see the video. Everybody else will just get the audio. Um, but we will post and tag as soon as everything comes out, we'll let you know. Awesome. Um, so that way people can follow and, and definitely yeah. support the show. Cause that's what we want more than anything is that people know about the show and support it. Cause we've both awesome. fallen in love with the show. So with, with that, we'll definitely shout it out 
and give it as much love as possible. You guys know you can find me at G Brion on Instagram. Uh, it's Gina Brion for everything else. GinaBrion.com is the website. You can check out my HBO special, Easily Offended, which is on HBO Latino and all the streaming HBO networks right now. And I have a, an Amazon special coming out June 5th called The Floor is Lava. So you can check out The Floor is Lava. Or my very first special that I did is already on Amazon called Pacifically Speaking. And you guys can check that out. So that said, I always like to end the show with a piece of advice that my mom gives me to this day. When life throws a lot at you, handle it one catastrophe at a time, people. So until next time, deuces, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thank you so Thank much, Carlos. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Do it like that. Yeah. You the kind of chick that's ready to fight back. Yeah. Looks damn good, but really she tight bad. Mm -hmm. Go to sleep, I call him a night cat. Born killer, you a born killer. Mm. Go on, get him. Go on, go on, get him. Mm.